thanks for dropping in. This is Coming Out Stories. It's brought to you by What Goes On Media, and I'm your host, Emma Goswell. We'd love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to follow us on the socials too. We are at Come Out Stories on X, previously Twitter, and we are Coming Out Stories Pod on Instagram. Every fortnight, we bring you real stories from across the LGBTQ plus spectrum. We've been doing this for over five years now. And sadly, I think it is more important than ever to be sharing these positive and inspiring stories, particularly when it comes to our trans community. As I record this in 2024, it's a brutal and tough world out there for our trans and non-binary siblings. Social media allows trolls and the gender critical to torment our friends. And just last week, in the city I call home, two 16-year-olds were sentenced to life in prison for the brutal murder of a young trans woman. Brianna Jai, rest in peace. I'm so sorry your bright, bright light was extinguished. More than ever. ...trans stories. So... In this episode, you'll hear from Arthur. His pronouns are he, him, and he identifies as a gay, trans man. He's also a bit of a legend, as he's the captain of, get this, the world's first football team made up entirely of trans men. So I grew up in Peterborough. I'm a very late 90s baby, uh, 98. Um, So growing up in sort of the early 2000s, there there is still very little uh, representation for LGBT plus people in... Peterborough. It's improving now, um, but at the time, like there was no mention of anything whatsoever, pretty much. And what what was school like? I mean, were there were there people talking about LGBT issues in school, or not really? Um, in terms of the curriculum, the only time we covered it was in religious education, where we were asked um, whether Christians, Muslims, all of the other religions are in favour of gay people or not, and that was that was the only coverage we got touching it at school um, but obviously there were people in years above us who had come out there were people in my year coming out so that people were aware that these things existed but it certainly wasn't covered to the lengths that they are I hope in schools today yeah well I mean you're a little bit younger than me you're probably mm. half my age I don't know how old are you now Arthur if you don't mind me asking 25 mm. yeah you're you're less than half my age so yeah. it's it, for me it's refreshing to hear that mm-hmm. people did actually come out at school because in the 80s mm. when I was at school it just yeah. it wasn't a thing really so that's quite nice to hear that people were coming out but were people coming out as trans was there much talk about trans issues at school Um, Not until uh, one of my best friends in school came out to me as a trans woman when we were 12. Um, I think we were about 12. And because she was one of my best friends, I was like, well, I don't really understand what this is, but I want to support her. So I did some Googling. And then I came across an article, which is obviously very outdated. I think it was in some kind of scientific journal. I don't know how I came across it. But it was like 85% of transsexuals are uh, male to female but 15% are female to male and I went hold on what's that and then I wasn't googling for her anymore I was googling for me and yeah I suddenly understood like everything in my life made sense because she'd only told me the day before I was like I can't turn around and go back to her and go I think I am too Uh, so I kept it to myself for a year before I told her and then when I did tell her she was like I told you first because I thought you knew that you were trans (gasps) and you were a safe person to tell and I was like oh (laughs) (laughs) she was giving you that lifeline yeah 
Yeah, um, I guess she knew that I'd be all right with it because she thought that I'd already figured it out about myself and just hadn't told anybody, when Mm. actually it was her that um, enabled me to find the language, I guess. I'd always known that um, there was something that wasn't quite right, but I didn't know the word trans existed until uh, she told me about it. Well, well, let's talk about then earliest memories up till 12, because it sounds like... You know, like most people in our community, you knew, you had a sense that you were different. So, but how did that sort of manifest itself, do you think? It manifested in a lot of different ways. Like, for example, you know, when you'd go on holiday as a child, and you'd make friends with random other children that were there mm. and you'd never see them again. Um, but I'd either tell them that my name was Tom or that I didn't have a name at all because my birth name is very stereotypically female and I, I didn't want them to know. Mm. And I remember, like, I could... I can still feel like my heart dropping when my relatives would come and pick me up from these children and they'd use my birth name mm. and everyone would go, oh, you're really a girl. And I'd be like, and this is age like five. Yeah. Um, and then I got to seven and then on Christmas Eve, I decided that I was going to cut off all my hair and tell my mum that I should be a boy, which <gasps> would, would not recommend for anyone listening. Bad okay. idea. It didn't go down well then. Uh, no, because, you know, age seven, I was not a trained hairdresser, so I was bald on one side, and <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah, uh, so it didn't go down well, and yeah, as a child, touching on football very briefly, I insisted that I wanted to join my local boys team, I didn't want to play for the girls team, though luckily a girls team did exist um, at that point. Well, but that's I just, good. I just, yeah, but I, I just didn't want to be part of it. So, like, everything was very much, like, I knew that I was a boy, but I didn't know that there was a way to become one, in a sense. And so when I got to, sort of, age 10, we are having sex education, and we were told, you know, boys are boys, girls are girls, that's how you're born, that's how you stay, and I was just like, oh, well, I guess I'm stuck with this. Damn. Uh. Yeah. And so it wasn't until a few years later when um, said friend told me, I was like, oh, there, there is something else, and that's that's me. And what about clothing? Because I think that's always quite difficult when you're trans, isn't it? I mean, even me growing up as a lesbian and not really knowing what I was, I remember having massive rows with my mother about the fact that I'd never wanted to wear skirts or dresses. But I'm guessing, was it similar for you? Yeah, luckily my parents were relatively okay with allowing me to dress as I wanted. It wasn't really until I got to being a teenager when I guess they kind of hoped that I'd grow out of it. So as a small child, they're like, yeah, sure, do what you want. But once you get to secondary school, you're going to need to start being the girl you're supposed to be. Mm. And so it was only really at that point that they were like, we'd prefer if you wore a skirt, would you try makeup, that kind of thing. But as a small child, it was absolutely fine. So I didn't really have that many issues then well I guess when they expected it to change when I stopped being a tomboy and I'd grow up and I wasn't just a tomboy so I didn't grow out of it and what about toys as well because I certainly didn't want the sort of dolls or Barbies that my sister was playing with were you the same yeah I buried my Barbies in the back garden (laughs) (laughs) I love it yeah I was very into obviously football I was into trains and all sorts of other things that I, I don't think my parents wanted me to be into, but I was into regardless. Um, but obviously, the, none of these things denote w- what gender you yeah. are. But it at least at least made it very easy when I got to the gender clinic and asking me all these very arbitrary questions. I at least had the right answer. Um, mm. But you know, it's a shame that that's how, as a society, even within gender clinics, they want to put you in those kind of boxes. Mm. And, and, and was school okay? You know, did you feel like you fit in enough? You didn't get bullied at all? I found it quite difficult because, as I said, like, I knew that I was different and didn't have the words. 
and like my classmates could pick up on the fact that I was different and they'd let me play football with them and hang out with the boys but there was you know there was always a sense that you're not really one of us and we don't really understand why you want to be Mm. um it wasn't until like I started telling people that I was trans that then things like started to change a bit I think people understood why I'd been like that I mean some people still weren't okay with it regardless but I think with my sort of closer friends that I'd grown up with they find like it was a light bulb oh that's why yeah you've always been the way you are (laughs) so it sounds like you did come out very young but let's talk about that year then when you knew you actually well you always knew but you had Mm -hmm. the vocabulary for it when you were 12 which Mm -hmm. is you know pretty young compared to a lot of people I've spoken to on this podcast Mm -hmm. but what was that year like knowing that you were something but not really having the confidence to tell anyone so between 12 and 13 that must have been pretty hard I guess yeah it was quite difficult because I remember there being conversations having with friends where I remember one who was dating um, my trans friend at the time saying you know Arthur I wouldn't be surprised at all if you came out to me as a trans man and like mm-hmm. because her girlfriend had been so recent I was like I still don't want to tell you and that there were a few occasions like that where I could feel that people were subtly hinting that I guess since the friend had come out and maybe they'd also done their research and found out that trans men existed they'd gone oh that's that's him but maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't know it yet um which was true so yeah it was very hard I think it was very hard particularly with trying to keep it from my family because you know, obviously they're the people that you spend most time around when you're under 18 and, I don't know, trying to talk to them about why I didn't want to wear skirts, why I didn't want to wear makeup without using this specific language because I didn't know how they'd react and also, you know, I wasn't ready to tell my friends or anything. It was, yeah, it was a very difficult time. And you're 12. I mean, you are a child. That's, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot Mm -hmm. to think about and go through at any age, but at 12, it's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I'd much rather have just been thinking about my biology homework or whatever, yeah. rather than at what point do I tell my parents that I'd like a beard? Like, it's just... <laughs> wow. And how did the um, the news about your friend go down then? How did um, her story develop? How, did she tell people at school? Did she tell her family? Yeah, she did. I think she told her parents before she started telling people at school and yeah, this is my dog, Willie, by the way. This is so funny. I thought I could hear a weird noise in the background, but I think this could be a podcast first. Suddenly, your dog has jumped onto you, and I'm just now staring into the eyes of a, what, a dash hound, is that? Yes, he oh, is. He is Silly gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so she told her parents, and they were, I think, taken aback by it, but mm. were okay, and so let her eventually um start wearing like women's clothes to school i remember telling me that like the school went to her parents to ask whether she was allowed to wear a skirt rather than just letting her and obviously Mm. her parents like yes yes she can but at the time i didn't think it was an all right thing to do but i think now people would be more aware that actually no that could be potentially putting a child in quite a dangerous situation to try and confront the parents about it Mm. And what about your own coming out then? So it sounds like it was at the age of 13, am I right? Yeah, so I told some of my close friends and my family. And my family, I don't think they really understood. 
they weren't particularly supportive, I would say. Um, it took them a long time to come round. Did, did you sit them all down at once or did you speak to your mum first or you, or a sibling first? It was just my parents at first and they didn't take it particularly well. But I told my siblings separately and they were all fine. Um, and so it wasn't until I was 20 that I got to tell my wider family because mm. my parents didn't want me telling anybody. It's difficult, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so what about friends? I presume, did you tell a friend first then before your parents? Yeah, I told my trans friend first and then her partner because I knew that they'd both obviously be fine with it. And then some of my school friends who, again, were like, yeah, that that makes sense. So they were all all right. I don't, I don't recall losing any friends over mm-hmm. it, I think largely because my friend had come out first that it'd be very odd for them to be like she's fine but you're not for some reason so my friends were all great it sounds like you had a good mentor in a sense in her and her friendship and that was really useful to you yeah definitely being able to sit down and talk to her about things when things weren't all that great at home was a godsend really i'm very Mm. happy to have had her so did your parents accept the fact that you were going to change physically and you were going to go down this route I guess that was was that a few years further down the line uh they just flat out were not all right with it initially so I don't think it crossed their minds that at least when I told them when I was 13 I don't think that they anticipated that years down the line that they would end up doing it I think they thought that if they just told me no that'd be the end of it and mm. obviously it wasn't and uh, they eventually came around when I was 20 but yeah, I don't think they'd even done all that much thinking ahead at that point. We don't, we don't really talk about it because my parents aren't pleased about how they reacted back then. And they said that had they known then what they knew now, then they wouldn't have reacted in the way that they did. I mean, I, I've moved on and they don't want to talk about it because they're not happy with how they were as people back then. So, I mean, this is the case for a lot of LGBT people when they talk to their parents. It's almost like we have to educate our parents a little bit, isn't it? And sometimes there has to be... A bit of forgiving on both sides, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think certainly some of the ways that I tried to talk to them about it, I could, looking back on it, I can definitely see how it came across as like rebellious teenager not wanting to do anything their parents said. So, and like I said, that when talking to my parents as an adult, like I understand that perhaps the way I approached it with you wasn't the best. And they said that we understand also that the way we reacted wasn't helpful either so mm. and do you think it's a danger sometimes if you come out so young that the parents are more likely to turn around and go oh it's just a phase you know if we ignore it it'll go away type thing yeah i i think so there's been so many advancements even in the last you know 12 years since i was first telling my parents that hopefully kids nowadays don't have as much as common a reaction as i think it would have been mm. earlier on to assume that it was a phase i think now parents at least not necessarily hugely educated knowing exactly everything they need to do but are aware that this is a possibility and so therefore are more likely to be accommodating than perhaps parents were 10 15 20 years ago Mm. so you were out while you were still at school then i'm guessing and did the, the school make any concessions did they let you use the appropriate bathroom did they let you change uniforms how did it work not exactly because like people knew but because I hadn't tried to register it officially because my parents not being okay with Mm. it it was just um oh yeah that's the thing so like I joined a boys PE set when I was about 15 um Mm. but that was sort of the extent of it I remember telling a well I didn't tell the teacher one of my friends told 
a teacher, I think well-meaningly, um, but I wasn't ready to tell this teacher that I was trans and I'd prefer to use this name now and he, him pronouns. Yeah. And the teacher just laughed and said, no, he's not. God. <laughs> yeah. And there was another time where I mentioned being like it was out at break time and I just happened to mention being gay around my friendship group and my math teacher was walking behind me and he said oh I hope you're not I think if I felt like I had more support then maybe I would have tried with the school a bit more but even just you know those passing comments it's like that there's no point trying to take mm. this any further but since then I have been back to uh, my old school because my sip I've got quite a few siblings who are younger than me and so I've gone back to parents evenings and I found that you know in their library they've got a whole LGBT section now wow and you know my, my younger siblings were telling me of trans kids that had come out and have been allowed to use the proper facilities you know my siblings aren't that much younger than me they're like five six years so even in that amount of time huge change that is great to see isn't it it really is yes yeah. And then what stage did you actually make it official and, you know, go to the appropriate clinics and go down that route? Uh, so when I was 20, uh, my parents just came to me and said that, you know, they get it, that it's not a phase, it's not going to go away. And so they, they want to be supportive because I think they'd understood that, you know, at 20, I'm going to be finishing uni soon, I can potentially leave. And I think maybe that had gone into their minds that they were going to potentially lose me if they didn't change And you're still living with them at this point, yeah. Uh, yeah, still living with them. And so, yeah, they came to me and were like, we, we don't get it, but we want to. So, like, that day, like, there was one of my siblings who didn't know uh, because my mum had asked me not to because said, she said that my sibling was too young to understand yeah. uh, back, when I, back when I first came out. And so when they all came home from school and mum sat everyone down and was like, Arthur's got something to tell you. And so told them. And then my mum reached out to her best friend. And it turns out her best friend had a friend who had a trans son who was a couple of years younger than me. And so uh, my mum ended up going up to meet up with her to talk to her about what she did to help with her son. I think that was really helpful for her, again, just having someone relatively close by. And it's so useful for parents to have that shared experience, isn't it? Because I don't think, you know, they necessarily know what to do or how to approach the situation, do they? No, it's definitely not included in all those, like, baby books that you no. get when you first become a parent. No, like, it really here's isn't. What to do, here's what to do when your child comes out as trans. So, no, no. Uh, having somebody close by is really helpful. And I think charities like Mermaids and Gendered Intelligence who create these spaces for parents to be able to come together mm. and to talk about the shared experience they're going through are really invaluable because uh, obviously as trans people we need that we need space with other trans people but I think to make sure they're doing it right parents need other parents to talk to as well absolutely well seven years you know between coming out to your parents and them really accepting it properly is a long time to wait but I'm guessing that was a huge relief for you personally yeah definitely like it all happened really really quickly so like I said parents told me they were fine with it told the sibling that afternoon then a couple of days later we had the rest of the family around we told them and then because of the massive wait list for nhs gender clinics mm. uh, my parents then very, very grateful for uh, paid for me to go private so i then like a month later had a pro an appointment at a private gender clinic and was on testosterone a few months later so it all it all happened very fast in um, the scheme of things when you consider how slow everything is on the NHS. They had quite the turnaround then by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah I, I think like even though it felt fast to me I think they'd likely been thinking about it for a while and yeah. 
had been like educating themselves to an extent behind the scenes to know that this was something that isn't going to go away and they need to accept it if they want a relationship with me. And how good were they with pronouns and your new name? Uh, my parents actually picked my name. Um, Did they? That was one of the things that I suggested to bring us closer together again because obviously our relationship had been quite fractured during those years was that I'd been using several names in that time and none of them had really stuck so I said mum pick it and so she picked Arthur and my middle name is David which my dad picked so wow do you know what I think you're the first trans person I've interviewed that has actually gone down that route that's really unusual isn't it do you know anyone else that's done that uh, no, but I think, as I said, like it's just because like I'd gone through, I think, four or five names in those seven yeah. years and none, none of them had really felt quite right. And yeah. so I was happy for them to have a go. My parents wanted me to be involved and asked me, like, did I have any names that I definitely didn't want? And so I gave them the list of the ones that I'd been using. Oh, previously. go on. What was on that? That's, that might be interesting. <laughs> so I went by Andrew for a while and I didn't think that really fit. When I first came out, I wanted to go by Castiel because I was a big fan of Supernatural when I was 12, 13. Right. Very embarrassing looking back on it. <laughs> yeah. I like Arthur, though. I mean, it's it's quite an old name, isn't it? It's a kind of nice, respectful, genteel, older person's name, isn't it? Do you like it? Yeah, it's my great-granddad's name. And so when my mum suggested it, I was like, yeah, I, I like that a lot. So. Let's talk a bit about football then and how important that is to you because this it's only what five years since your parents accepted it and you started on on your journey Mm -hmm. but it sounds like you are you know in a good place now at 25 and you know you found yourself you're living a happy life Mm -hmm. and you've got football as this big presence in your life haven't haven't you would you think so that's fair Yeah, definitely. I mean, football was very important to me as a child. And looking back on it, I can see that it was a place that I could express my gender in a way that I wasn't able to in other places by playing for a boys team, by, you know, going to football matches with my dad and there not really being any girls around at the time, just being dads and their sons. And so it's not really a space now where I feel like it's purely for gender expression. But looking back on it, I think it was very important for that and then now I play in LGBT plus leagues with other LGBT plus people and it's just a really nice welcoming space yeah it's it's been wonderful for me and my mental health and how difficult is it to find other trans men to play play with because I know you sort of set up your own practices don't you and you're you're very much part of a, a team if you want to tell us a bit about that yeah, so Trans Radio UK United, which is a very long name, it's usually shortened to Truck United, uh, yeah. was started by Lucy Clark, and obviously she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. And so I went to their game for Trans Day Visibility in 2022, uh, where it was the first all trans feminine team in the world, and I wanted to go and support that um, because trans women belong in sports. So after that, I found out they also had an all-gender team uh, because I wasn't aware of that before. I thought it was just for trans women. And so I signed up to play in a few matches for their all-inclusive team, which is made up of both trans people of all genders, but also some cis allies as well. Hmm. And after one of the matches, um, after that, uh, Lucy cornered me and was like, after what we've done for the trans feminine team, we'd like to have a go at creating a trans masculine team. Would you be up for captaining it if we could do that? And I was like, yeah, absolutely go ahead so Lucy did oh not just take part would you like to be the captain that was a straight promotion yeah. wasn't it yeah yes <laughs> yeah 
Uh, and so Lucy did a bunch of reaching out behind the scenes to contacts to recruit people to come and take part in this match on Transdev Visibility 31st of March 2023. I'd met like one person before and that was because I invited him because I knew that he was vaguely interested in football. Everybody else not met before knew vaguely from the internet, a couple of them, but that was it. So we spent the sort of 10 minutes before the match learning each other's names. Wow. Yeah, so we weren't going into it expecting to win. It was going into it to do it so that it had been done and that people knew that trans men play football too, essentially. And so since then, Lucy's been absolutely inundated with the press to join the team because stuff about the team went viral. And so there's now hundreds of people on the list that could potentially play for truck at some point. And Lucy's done an incredible job of sorting out matches. They're in a few leagues now. Us as the uh, trans-masculine team are hopefully going to be competing in a tournament next year, which is going to be really exciting. And how important is it for you and the other guys that play as well to, to be part of that team and to play the sport that they love with other trans people? I hadn't anticipated how much I needed it because I play for another team called Left Footers, which are an LGBT plus team, but they're mostly cis gay men. Like I hadn't realised how different it would be to be just amongst other trans people and how nice it was to be able to do that. And I think for a lot of the other guys, some of the other guys like aren't open about being trans, they're stealth and keep it to themselves. And so coming and playing with truck is the only exposure to the community they get. There are some people that are kind of pre-transition and are just wanting to get involved and meet other trans people. The team is UK-wide, so people travel from all over the place. Most of the people that I hang out with now are mainly based in London, but for that first match, we had people fly down from Scotland, we had people drive down from Leeds, it was like all over the place. So I think Lucy's created something absolutely wonderful here. Well, it's world first, isn't it? You know, there aren't that Mm -hmm. many football teams made up of trans men. You are it, pretty much. Yeah, uh, since then I've seen a few, not specifically just for trans men, but a few like all trans teams yeah. pop up. And, and where do you see the team going in the future then? Where do you see, see it progressing? I know from speaking to Lucy, what she would like is for there to be like a five-a-side team that's all trans in all major cities in the UK so that wow. anybody who's trans wherever they are in the UK can come and play football in a safe space rather than having to travel to bigger cities like for example I mentioned being from Peterborough the closest LGBT team to me was Leicester which is an hour on the train away and so right. Lucy's vision is that you don't have to get on the train for an hour to be able to join a trans team that there will be one closer to you. And as you said, so important for your mental health because there's something about the endorphins that are released when you play sport, but also the camaraderie you get for being in a team and to be in a team with other people who you have so much in common with must be so powerful. Yeah, it's so wonderful. I mean, obviously we lost our first match and I assume you've seen the photos afterwards. You wouldn't be able to tell from the photos that we'd lost 8-1. Well, that's why it went viral, because the photo of... Who was being held... Who was jumping up and fist-pumping in the air? Uh, That's Parker. So he's the one that scored our one goal. Uh, He's Uh, an absolutely fantastic footballer. But that photo was just so euphoric. I mean, it just screams trans joy to me. And and I'm really pleased that... I mean, obviously, you'll get hatred and idiots from people on social media. But for me, it just spread so much love and understanding, I think, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, anticipated there would be a positive response. But before that match, really, I didn't talk about football much on social media because most of my following had come from just people interested in trans stuff in general or in politics because I did Labour Party politics for a while. 
And so I kind of avoided talking about football because I didn't think mm. that my following would be interested in it. And so I definitely did not anticipate that it would go viral and I would have so many messages from people all over the place wanting to get involved in future, people in different countries saying, well, I'd love to do something like that here. How do I start up a similar team? It was so much, like, I just didn't know what to do, to be honest. And, and well done just for being a presence on social media and being openly trans, because that's got to be hard, right? Because even with this podcast, when we put stuff out there sometimes, we get anti-trans bigotry and transphobia thrown at us. It's definitely gone harder since a certain someone took over Twitter. Um, prior oh, to it's that, not even called Twitter anymore. Don't, yeah, don't, yeah, no. just can't bear it. I can't. Prior to that, like, I've got a pretty extensive block list and I'd managed to create a space for myself where all was relatively all right. Like, I'd occasionally get a nasty comment, but it wouldn't be, like, on every tweet. It'd be, like, once a month or so. But since the new changes have come in, it's pretty much constant now. And so I don't spend anywhere near as much time on Twitter as I used to. Yeah. Uh, one thing we haven't really talked about are relationships. I mean, how have you navigated that as a trans gay man? Have you struggled or has it been something that's been a constant presence in your life? I think as a teenager, I was much more scared of it than I needed to be. Because yeah. knowing that I was trans and seeing all the debates and stuff about whether it's transphobic to say you're not attracted to trans people and all of that kind of discourse as a teenager, made thinking that as an adult going into the dating world is going to be absolutely horrible. Mm. And it wasn't. Uh, I'm engaged. I've been with my partner for three and a half years. And so it was nowhere near as hard as I'd anticipated it was going to be. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations. So when is the big day? Um, we haven't started planning yet because he's doing a PhD at the moment. And I knew that if we started planning after I proposed to him, his PhD would not get done. So he's banned <laughs> until <laughs> until after that. So we're thinking probably 2025. Oh, fantastic. Well, I always like to end by asking people for some words of advice. So what words of advice would you give to your 12-year-old self, do you think, Arthur? going through that difficult time of just sort of understanding and getting the language but not really knowing what to do about it or having the confidence to verbalise it? I would say be patient because my family didn't react the best when I first came out. I assumed that that was going to be it and they were never going to understand. Mm. And so what I advise my 12-year-old self is just take your time and that they will come around eventually. Yeah. I mean, seven years is a long time when you're 12. Yeah. <laughs> That's nearly nearly your life again, isn't it? But but you did it and you know, how grateful are you that you had that patience and you've got the life that you presumably wanted to be living all along. Yeah, and my relationship with my parents couldn't be better. My dad came to watch me play football a few weeks ago, oh. which, you know, as a twelve year old I don't think I could have anticipated my dad coming to watch a gay football team. Um, but he did and so did my grandparents and my siblings and my mum has turned into an absolutely wonderful advocate for trans people and uh, she does some charity work and in her charity she's been very influential in changing policy to make sure that it's trans inclusive and so yeah I'm I'm very glad that uh, I was able to stick around because it's definitely all been worth it (laughs) and presumably they'll all be your wedding in 2025 as well Yes, uh, that, that, that is the hope. Well, they were supposed to come to the proposal, but then they had to go and get COVID, didn't they? So they were not there. They were there on Zoom. But Hang on <laughs> so, a minute. You had the proposal as a public event? Yes. Uh, so I had planned to do it in a remote location that's quite special to me. And then 
my partner got the idea in his head that he'd quite like a public one. And so I was like, right. So I did it near Greenfield Station. Greenfield is like a 10 minute train ride from uh, Manchester Piccadilly. Um, it's like general Oldham area in this place called Upper Mill. And it's somewhere that I used to go to a lot as a child because my granddad's from the area. And so that's where I wanted to ask him. Um, but I wanted to do it on this very specific spot that was by a stream. And so I didn't have a postcode that I could send to his relatives to like meet me here. And so I had to get all of my family to come so they could direct all of his family to be in the right place. And yeah, my family, most of them got COVID and so (laughs) didn't attend. So it was very, very stressful. And then my train got cancelled. So I had to go a different route and have my granddad pick us up from from a tram stop. And uh, somehow my partner didn't question it that my granddad would just happen to be there at the same weekend as us. Um, And then, yeah, got uh, got him to the spot. Everyone was there. Everyone who couldn't make it because they either had COVID or had work commitments they couldn't get away from was on Zoom. And yeah. Well, you must have been pretty confident you were getting a yes at this proposal to have all this, these people there. Uh, he sent me the ring that he wanted after our first date, so I, was, I definitely knew that he wanted to get married at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's a gay man who clearly can't wait to get married. A massive thank you to Arthur for chatting to me, and I do hope he gets to play in a team near his home soon of course that truck goes from strength to strength so if you're trans you love your footy and you want to get involved it's probably best to go to their website that is truckunitedfc.com that's just spelled t-r-u-k truckunitedfc.com um, or you can try and find their manager lucy on socials lucy clark she is at lucy clark ref on x Next time, we are off to Atlanta, Georgia to meet Mo, who identifies as being non-binary and trans. And I think they're the first person we've had on the podcast who's an identical twin. I have had this feeling my entire life, but I didn't know or I remember conversations with my dad and being like, I could dress like my brothers. I have four older brothers. Like I could dress like them. I could wear boys clothes. I can play basketball with my brothers. And he's like, you could. (laughs) But so much of my identity was wrapped up in being an identical twin. So people expected us to be the same. They expected us to do dance together and all the things that they expected of girls in that environment. And so I didn't really get the opportunity I would say in many instances to step outside of that.